Assalamualaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh Innal hamdalillah nahmaduhu wa nasta'inuhu wa nastaghfiruh wa nu'minu bihi wa natawakkalu alayhi wa na'udhu billahi min shururi anfusina wa sayyiati a'malina may yahdihillahu fala mudhillalah wa may yudlil fala hadiyalah wa ashhadu an la ilaha illallah wahdahu la sharika lah wa ashhadu anna sayyidana muhammadan abduhu wa rasuluhu All praise and thanks is due to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Peace and salutations upon Muhammad ibn Abdullah, salawatullahi wa salamuhu alayhi. Peace and salutations upon his family, upon his friends, and upon all those who try to emulate him until the end of time. My beloved brothers and sisters in Islam, last week we discussed the life of Uthman radiyallahu anhu and we discussed the virtues of Uthman radiyallahu an we discussed his lineage we discussed some of the praises that the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam gave Uthman radiyallahu an and we also said that we will be dividing the life of Uthman radiyallahu an into two parts and alhamdulillah this is the second part and bi'idhnillah ta'ala we will be dealing with the beginning of the fitna in today's lesson we will be looking at the fitna how did it start what led to the death to the martyrdom of amirul mu'minin uthman ibn affan radiyallahu an and what impact did this fitna have on the ummah when uthman radiyallahu an was martyred in the year 35 of the Hijrah, what happened to the Ummah? Did we see unity of the Ummah ever again? Or did we see that the Ummah was split? And one needs to first understand what caused this. What caused the death, the martyrdom of Uthman radiallahu an? And that is something which we will start off with in our lesson today. So the fitna, this trials, this tribulations that afflicted the ummah started in the year 34 after the after Hijrah. And Uthman radiallahu an, as we know, was the third Khalifa of Islam. So after the demise of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, Abu Bakr radiyallahu an, he takes the reins as the first khalifa. When Abu Bakr radiyallahu an passes away, Amirul Mu'mineen, Umar ibn Khattab radiyallahu an, he takes the reins of the khalifa. And when Umar radiyallahu an is martyred in Masjid al-Nabawi during the Fajr Salah, by the Majus. Then Uthman radiallahu an, he became the Khalifa. So with regards to the fitna and with regards to what afflicted Uthman radiallahu an, is that they were a group of ignorant and foolish people who accused Uthman radiallahu an 
of certain things which he was totally free from. And we'll look at this a bit later. And when they came to Uthman radiallahu an in the year 34 after Hijrah, they told Uthman radiallahu an various things. And they had no patience. They had no sabr with Uthman radiallahu an. So in the year 34 they came and they maybe spoke about their grievances. And they were not happy with the response that Uthman radiallahu an gave them. In the year 35 after Hijrah, this was the year when Uthman radiallahu an was martyred as well, they came back. And this was the year that the house of Uthman radiallahu an was under siege. Some of the ulama say for 40 days, some of the ulama say for mentions about 20 days some less than 20 but from what is understood and we will see this a bit later so I'm not going to go into too much detail at the moment so now we need to look at some of the reasons of the fitna some of the reasons why this fitna started now I would like to highlight two points Number one, these are some of the reasons that caused the fitna. And after this, we are going to look at some of the accusations against Uthman radiallahu anhu. So there's a difference. The difference is here, what caused the fitna? And then after that, what were some of the accusations against Uthman radiallahu anhu? So you might be wondering why are we discussing this? Is there a need to discuss this? And the answer is yes. In order for the ummah to learn, in order for this ummah to go forward, in order for this ummah to understand what has happened, we need to know history. We need to know what happened in the past as we will see a bit later as well. And the first reason of the fitna that we need to look at is Abdullah ibn Sabah. Abdullah ibn Sabah was the leader and he was the main culprit of this fitna. So now another question comes up. Was Abdullah ibn Sabah a real person? Or was he a figment of one's imagination as the Shia claim him to be? Well look at this. So let us look first <coughs> at two Shi'i scholars. Number one, Murtada al-Asgari. In his book, Abdullah ibn Sabah wa asatiru ukhra. In his book, Abdullah ibn Sabah and the other tales. So in this book, Murtada Al-Askari, he rejects Abdullah ibn Sabah, which we will discuss in a few moments. The second person is Ta'a or Ta'a al-Husayn. In his book, Ali Wabanuhu, 
Ali radiyallahu an and his offspring or his children, whatever you'd like to translate it as. Now Taha Hussein, he is someone that is known to have rejected Quranic verse. In his book, Ashir al-Jahiliya, he rejects the story of Nabi Ibrahim and Nabi Ismail. May Allah be pleased with both of them building the Kaaba. Now we know that this is established in the book of Allah Subhanahu wa Taala towards the end of the first Jews. That Allah Subhanahu wa Taala He speaks about. The story of Nabi Ibrahim and Nabi Ismail that they built the Kaaba together. So Ali Hussein he says that the Quran mentions the story but it is not established that it happened. So we don't pay too much attention to Taha Hussein when he speaks about that Ibn, that Abdullah ibn Sabah was not a real person and the Sunnis they made him up. So we don't need to look at him into too much detail. But as for Murtala al-Asgari, he tries to confuse people. And this, my beloved brothers and sisters in Islam, is a trait of the Shia in general. And of deviant sects as well. That a person would come to you, a deviant, and he doesn't come out with the false thing completely. Or he doesn't come out with a lie completely. But rather, he mixes up truth with falsehood. So they try to confuse people. And let us look at a very simple example. Muhammad ibn Jarir ibn Yazid Abu Ja'far al-Tabari who was a Sunni scholar a very famous Sunni scholar al-Tabari then we find that there is a Shia as well Muhammad ibn Jarir Rustam Abu Ja'far al-Tabari so the Sunni scholar and the Shia scholar Shi'i scholar they have the exact same name the only difference is Yazid and Rastam in the middle of their name so what happens you will find that certain scholars of the Shia sect they would say that Tabari reported this and some people that obviously does not know some people that maybe just read articles, they go to Sheikh Google or Doktor Google, whatever you'd like to call him, and they would maybe type in something and they see there's an article translated or understood from At-Tabri, without realizing that this is maybe a Shi'i source, or without realizing that the Tabri that they are referring to is Muhammad ibn Jarir Rustam Abu Ja'far al-Tabri, al-Shi'i, and not the Sunni al-Tabri. So one needs to be careful 
when reading history as well one needs to be careful where we take our sources from and this is why many of the ulama they've explained that the deen of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is based on isnad and it is based on that you need to name your narrators we want to know who you are narrating from so going back to Murtada al-Askari this is what he tries to do at certain times he tries to confuse people so he brings all the narrations regarding Abdullah ibn Sabah from the tariq of Saif ibn Umar so he would bring a narration and one of the narrators would be Saif ibn Umar Ibn Hajar al-Asqalani he says that Saif ibn Umar is da'if fil hadith that he is a weak narrator so now we understand that Murtada al-Asgari what does he do? he tries to manipulate the people he tries to teach the people something based on weak ahadith because of Saif ibn Umar so he brings all the narrations of Saif ibn Umar which maybe does not affirm Abdullah ibn Sabah but now we need to realize that Saif ibn Umar is a weak narrator now let us look at ibn Asakir ibn Asakir he brings a narration regarding Ibn Sabah without Saif Ibn Umar which proves to us that Abdullah Ibn Sabah is not just from the Sunni school of thoughts imagination but rather he was a real person and he caused real issues in the time of Uthman radiallahu an and in the time of the Khilafah of Ali radiallahu an as well another important point that we need to understand is that many of the Shia scholars and the historians of the Shia group they mention Ibn Sabah in their, group, in their books so they would mention and there's quite a long list of them who and this is of the classical Shia scholars going back to the 3rd century where they affirm that Abdullah ibn Sabah was there in the time of the Prophet وسلم, in the time of the Khulafa Rashidin etc. Now let us look at Ahlu Sunnah wal Jama stance regarding Abdullah ibn Sabah. And you might be wondering why is he spending so much time with regards to Abdullah ibn Sabah. And the reason for this is that Abdullah ibn Sabah he played a role at the start of the Khalifa of Ali radiallahu an as well. So we need to know who Abdullah ibn Sabah really was. Abdullah ibn Sabah was a Yemeni Jew who claimed to be Muslim. He then took to Ali radiallahu an as his leader and he later belonged to the Sababiyah which claimed that Ali radiallahu an was an ilah or they said that Ali radiallahu an he had uluhiyah and 
in the time and we will discuss this in the life of Ali radiallahu an maybe next week or the week after where Ali radiallahu an where he dealt with this group known as the Sababiyya Abdullah ibn Sabah and his companions his friends his group they also wrote letters and they stamped it with government stamps and what this is referring to basically is that they would have stamps of Uthman radiallahu an and some of his ministers and they would stamp this and they would send these letters to some of the senior companions like Zubair, like Ali, like Talha, like Aisha radiallahu anha and other companions of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam and they would fabricate lies against Uthman radiallahu they would also send some of these letters to Kufa, to Basra, to Misr etc now what we need to understand and we need to realize my beloved brothers and sisters in Islam in those days someone he writes a letter he gets a messenger he sends there was no email in that time there was no for example going to the police station and getting something certified so if the stamp was on there people would accept it that this came from the ministry of Uthman radiallahu an, and this is what happened and this is also an important let- lesson for all of us as well that we need to verify information even sometimes if we see that maybe someone he says that fulan said this or so and so said this but we need to go back and verify because it is easy to fabricate something and say that someone says this or x y and z said this but in the meantime they never said this so this was the first reason yani abdullah ibn sabah the second reason was that there was a difference between Umar radiallahu an and Uthman radiallahu an. As we studied the life of Umar radiallahu an, we would find that Umar radiallahu an, yani he was strict, he was stern. Umar radiallahu an, yani if you can use the term, he took no prisoners. In the sense of that Umar radiallahu an, his nature was such that he was someone that he accepted no nonsense he was extremely strict if you look at Uthman radiallahu an he again was extremely soft natured now we need to also understand my beloved brothers and sisters in Islam that Uthman radiallahu an he was not weak like many people claim him to be Many people they say that Uthman radiallahu an he was a weakling. This is incorrect. Uthman radiallahu an his nature was such, and this was the his tabi'i. This was his makeup. And human beings are made like that. Some of us may be a bit more strict, some of us may be a bit more stern, others a bit more jokey, others a bit more soft. But a soft natured person does not mean that you are a weak leader. No. So we as Ahlul Sunnah wal Jama'ah, we should never make this mistake that Uthman radiallahu an was a weak leader. So now you might be wondering, 
So why did the people revolt against Uthman? Why did they stand up against Uthman radiallahu an? And some of the ulama, they explain that Uthman radiallahu an, because of his rifq and because of his hilm, he would forgive people generally. Quite easily, you come to him, you say, this is what happened. Uthman radiallahu an, you would overlook a lot of things. And they say this is one of the main reasons that Abdullah ibn Sabah and his companions, his friends, they saw a loophole and they took advantage of this and they revolted and they took to the streets and they sieged Uthman radiallahu's house. Then also they say one of the third reason is that Islam it flourished during the time of Uthman radiallahu an. In the Khalifa of Uthman radiallahu an, there was a lot of money. There was a lot of, right, like we mentioned, yani a lot of wealth. Islam f- flourished. Islam moved over to different countries. And they say this also led to people revolting against Uthman radiallahu an. The last reason that we want to look at is that some Arab tribes never liked the idea that the Quraysh is in charge of them. They never like the idea that the Quraysh needs to be the leaders. Why must the Quraysh be the leaders? Why can't another group be the leaders? Why can't another tribe be the leaders? And based on this, they also took to the house of Uthman radiallahu an. May Allah be pleased with him. So those were four reasons. Now we want to look at some of the accusations against Uthman radiallahu and many of the ulama they explain and they say that there are 13 main accusations against Uthman radiallahu I'm not going to go into each of the accusations because obviously time will not allow us. So I'm going to mention about two or three bi'ithnillahi ta'ala. The first accusation is that they accused Uthman radiallahu an of nepotism. They accused Uthman radiallahu an of choosing his family members to be governors or ministers. Now we need to look at this carefully. The first point is that Uthman radiallahu an, he had five governors or five ministers that were his family members. So he had five ministers of his, that were his family. He had another 16 ministers who were not his family. So five was from the family of Uthman and 16 were not from the family of Uthman. So without even going into too much detail, let us look and see that 16 over 5 people is extremely, that the 5 is a little. So this obviously shows us that he never really only chose his family because all in all there were 21 ministers, 21 governors and 16 of them 
is not his family. So this shows us obviously that he never really chose his family except on a very rare occasion. The next point is extremely important as well. That they were also not all in power at the same time. They never held the position of ministers or governments at the same time. So these five that were family to him, maybe one year, right? Let's just use an example, say the year 30 after Hijrah. So for example, in the year 30 after Hijrah, one of them were the Amir. And maybe in the year 32, he selected another two and like that. So they were never all five selected at the same time where he said that, you know, you are my family and this is what you're going to do. You're going to become the Amirs of certain areas, etc, etc. No. Then another point is that Uthman radiallahu an, he found them to be of the people that were fit for the job. And this is important. Not because they were his family. Not because he felt, oh no, I need you people because you are my cousins and your fathers were my uncles, etc. No. But rather, they were those that were fit for the job and this is why he chose them. And Allah Azza wa Jal, he knows best. Another, or the second point that I would like to look at is the burning of the masahif. The burning of the Mushaf, or in for us to understand it, that the gathering of the copies of the Quran and Uthman radiallahu an he ordered this to be burnt. So now some of us might be thinking, but why would Uthman do this? Why would he want to burn the books of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the Quran, the Masahif? And like we discussed last week. We touched on the fact that in the Khalifa of Uthman radiallahu an, what happened? That he made Jam of the Quran again. Jam of the Quran was made when? In the time of Abu Bakr radiallahu an. <coughs> and now again in the time of Uthman radiallahu an. And the reason as I mentioned before, and I will touch on it again, is that Islam spread. Islam went further than the lands of Hijaz. So people were entering Islam and people were reciting. And people were making errors. So people would have a copy of the Mus'haf. They would read and they maybe couldn't recite properly. So Uthman radiallahu an, he decided... To make one copy. And this, he got a few Sahaba, which we discussed last week as well, so I'm not going to go into too much detail. And they were known as the Qurra. They were known as the reciters of the Quran. And they sat together and they formulated, they compiled the Mus'haf. And this Mus'haf was known, and it is still known as today, as the Uthmani, if in our terms we call it the Uthmani print. So what happens? Uthman radiallahu an he sends he sends companions of his teachers to various cities with the copy that they compiled, that they checked, they compiled. 
and each city was sent a copy of the Mus'haf with a reciter and they taught the people how to recite. So what does Uthman radiallahu an order? He orders that every other Mus'haf, every other piece where there were recitations written, there were of pieces of the Quran written, this needs to be destroyed. And how should we destroy it? We should burn it. So obviously the question comes up, but why? And there's two reasons I would like to point out. Number one is that some of them, they had tafsir of the Sahabi in it. So for example, like if we see today's, in today's time we would have a copy of the Mus'haf. And then there would be obviously space between the top of the page and the border where the recitation or where the Quran's writing begins. So sometimes you would find maybe the printers, they would print in the margins of this masahif the meaning of certain words. So like that the Sahaba, they would also write certain tafsir maybe they would ask the Prophet ﷺ a question about a particular verse and the Prophet ﷺ, or he would explain something so they would write on the side. So Uthman radiallahu anhu, he did not want to confuse the people with this. The second reason is that some of the verses that were maybe written, they were abrogated tilawatan. And however, they were still written in the Mus'haf. So this might have confused people as well. And this is some of the reasons that Uthman radiallahu anhu, he took and some of the reasons why he burnt the Qur'an. And based on this, many of the ulama, they explain something on the side for us, that if we have a Mus'haf, if we have a Qur'an and the maybe our page is broken, the best way to get rid of it is to burn it. And this is from the way of Uthman radiyallahu and may Allah be pleased with him. Another claim that they made against Uthman radiyallahu is they said that Uthman radiyallahu an he made salah in full whilst traveling so obviously salatul fajr and salatul maghrib is out of this equation so salatul dhuhr salatul asr and salatul isha which consists of four rak'ats and when one is on travel as we learn from Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, we are allowed to shorten it to two rak'ats. So a salah that consists of four rak'ats, we can shorten it to two whilst on traveling. Uthman radiallahu an, when he traveled, he made salah in full. He did not shorten. So someone comes to you and he says, my beloved brother and sister in Islam, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, Abu Bakr radiyallahu an, Amirul Mu'mineen, Umar ibn Khattab radiyallahu an, that whenever they traveled, they would make two rak'ats, when it was the time of Zuhr, when it was the time of Asr, when it was the time of Isha. But Uthman radiyallahu an, he came and he only made the salahs in full when he was on traveling. What do you say about this? The first question that we need to pose, the first question that we need to look at, is this a matter to go out and protest at someone's house? 
Is this a matter to go and march on the house of the Khalifa? Is this a matter that you need to shed the blood of a fellow Muslim? Of a matter of fiqh? A matter of ijtihad? And the answer is no. So a matter that is not based, where your iman is not based upon. There's not a matter of belief. They used a matter of fit to go out and to go protest and to march onto his home, to siege his home and later on to kill Uthman radiallahu This is not the teachings of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Now in our times today, my beloved brothers and sisters in Islam, we might find that, yes, people, they are not killing each other. But people use matters of fiqh, matters of ijtihad, and they make it huge problems. Sometimes they make it issues to make tabdir. Sometimes they make issues of fiqh and ijtihad to make takfir. This is not the way of the scholars of the ummah. If it is a matter that there is reason and there is leeway in the sharia to differ, then we accept this. But we don't go out because we, for example, are making salah in full while traveling. Or someone else is making two. And now we need to make tabdeer of this person. Or we need to make takfir of this person. So, this is a lesson for us as well. That because people in the time of Uthman and they were so fanatical... That they would use any excuse just to get to Uthman radiallahu to stand up against him. That they even used a matter of fiqh, a matter of ijtihad to oppose Uthman radiallahu Another claim that I would like to look at is the claim that Uthman radiallahu did not attend the battle of Badr. Meaning he did not take part in the battle of Badr. This is a claim. Look at the Rafidiyah, you look at the Ithna Ashariya, they use this. They say, look at Uthman radiallahu anhu. He did not come to the battle of Badr. Also they add to this, and they say that Uthman radiallahu anhu, he left the battlefield of Uhud. And they say that Uthman radiallahu anhu, he was not present for the bay'ah of, or bay'atu Ridwan. I would like to share with you a narration that comes in the Sahih of Imam Al-Bukhari. Uthman ibn Muhib, he narrates that an Egyptian who came and performed the Hajj, he saw some people sitting and he inquired, who are these people? So somebody said, they are the tribe of Quraysh. So he asked, who is the old man sitting amongst them? And the people replied, that he is Abdullah ibn Umar. So an Egyptian, he comes to perform hajj. He sees a group of people. He wants to know who they are. They say, this is the tribe of Quraysh. He says, okay, fine. Now I want to know who is sitting here. Who is this old man sitting with you? They say this is Abdullah ibn Umar. So Abdullah the son of Umar ibn Khattab radiyallahu anhu. So he asks and he says, 
Yabna Umar. He says, O son of Umar, I would like to ask you something. And please tell me about this. He says, Do you know that Uthman fled away on the day of Uhud? Ibn Umar said, Yes. The man, he says, Do you know that Uthman radiallahu an, he was not present on the day of Badr? Do you know he did not join the battle of Badr? Ibn Umar says, Yes. The man then says to Ibn Umar, do you know that he failed to attend the bay'ah of Ridwan, the pledge of Ridwan, and he did not witness it? Ibn Umar said yes. This man says, Allahu Akbar. So, according to this man, Umar the son of Umar and Abdullah ibn Umar, is affirming what he's saying. And now Abdullah ibn Umar, he speaks and he says, let me explain to you these three things. He says, as for his flight on the day of Uhud, I testify that Allah has excused him and forgiven him. As for his absence from the battle of Badr, it was due to the fact that the daughter of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam which was the wife of Uthman radiallahu an, she was ill. And the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam, he said to him that you need to look after your spouse, you need to look after your wife, you need to look after my daughter, and you will receive the same reward, and you will receive the share of the booty as any one of those who participated in the battle of Badr, if you look after her. So this was Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam telling Uthman radiallahu an what to do. And he obeyed Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And as for the incident or for his absence with regards to the incident of the bay'ah of Ridwan, the pledge of allegiance, had there been any person in Mecca more respectable than Uthman radiallahu an to be sent as a representative, Allah's messenger would have had sent him instead of him. And no doubt that Allah's messenger had sent him and the incident of a Ridwan pledge of allegiance happened after Uthman radiallahu an had gone to Mecca. So what's happening here? Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he sends Uthman radiallahu an on a mission to Mecca. And if he could have sent anyone else to represent him, someone more respectable, he would have done that. This is what Abdullah ibn Umar is saying. <coughs> so there is a reason why Uthman radiallahu an was not The messenger of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he held out his right hand saying, this is Uthman radiallahu an's hand. And he stroked or he placed his other hand with it and saying, this pledge of allegiance is on behalf of Uthman. May Allah be pleased with him, subhanallah. So here we understand and before I go further, and then Ibn Umar, he said to the man, 
that these are the excuses that you need to bear in mind with regards to Uthman radiallahu an. This is actually what happened. And the man accepted. As I mentioned, this narration is found in Sahih al-Bukhari. So here, my beloved brothers and sisters in Islam, there is no need. There is no need to even go into what the ulama have said. Because Imam al-Bukhari, in his Sahih, he brings an explanation from who? From the son of Amirul Mu'mineen, Abdullah ibn Umar ibn Khattab radiyallahu an, and this is sufficient for us. The next point I would like to look at is a summary of the 13 accusations against Uthman radiallahu So four of these 13 accusations, they are lies. Three of them are from the merits of Uthman radiallahu Five of them are from his ijtihad. And one of them, ulama say it was a mistake. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, as it was an ijtihad issue, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he will forgive. As we know that the anbiya, they were the only ones that were ma'asum. They were the only ones that were sinless. As for individuals, even an individual of the Sahaba, they could err. But know that the companions as a whole, as a jama'ah, they would never come together on an issue which was batil. I will repeat this. And companion of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa individually, they could err, they could make a mistake. This is understood. But the companions as a whole, as a group, as a jama'ah, if they come and they speak about an issue, they know that they could never be wrong about that issue. Ijma'ah consensus of them and this is understood by the ulama of Ahl-Sunnah wal-Jama'ah. Now we're going to move our attention to the murder of Uthman radiallahu an, the martyrdom of Uthman radiallahu an. So in the year 35 of the Hijrah, people they came from Basra, they came from Kufa, they came from Egypt as well. And they said and they claimed that they want to perform Hajj. But instead they came and they surrounded the house of Uthman radiallahu an in Medina. The exact number is unknown. The exact number is unknown. Some of the historians, some of the ulama, they say that 2,000 came from each city, meaning they were about 6,000, because Basra, Kufa, and Egypt. So 2,000 from each adds up to 6,000. Some of the Mu'arrikhun, some of the historians, some of the ulama, they say that they only reached 2,000 all in all. So what we can say is that they never exceeded 6,000 and they were not less than 2,000. So they entered Medina with horsemen. They entered Medina and they surrounded the house of Uthman radiallahu an. They demanded that Uthman radiallahu an that he steps down as Khalifa. So imagine this. 
6,000 people, 5,000, 4,000, not less than 2,000. They surround the house of Amirul Mu'mineen, the leader of the believers, the leader of the Muslims. And they request that he needs to step down as Khalifa. Because they have about 13 reasons why, or 13 accusations against him, and this is why he needs to step down. So this was towards the end of Dhul Qa'dah. And the siege lasted until the 18th of Dhul Hijjah, the day that Uthman radiallahu an was martyred. And as I mentioned earlier in the discussion tonight, we said that some report says that the siege lasted 40 days. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best. One thing that we need to understand is that Uthman radiallahu an, he was prevented from leading the ummah, he was prevented from leading the Muslims in salah during this time. And as we know from Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam that Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam being the leader of the Muslims, he led the Muslims in salah. When he was ill, he ordered that Abu Bakr radiallahu an lead the Muslims in salah. When the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam passed away, Abu Bakr radiallahu an he becomes Amir. What happens? He leads the Muslims in salah. When he was not there, he couldn't make it, he would order Umar ibn Khattab to read the Muslims in Salah. And when Abu Bakr radiallahu anhi passed away, Umar ibn Khattab, he becomes Amirul Mu'minin. He becomes the leader of the faithful. What does he do? He leads the Ummah in Salah. And like that, the leaders of the past, they would lead the congregants in Salah. And here they prevented Uthman radiallahu anhi from leaving his home. So he could not be Imam in the Masjid. There are some narrations that mentions they prevented water from entering the house of Uthman radiallahu anh. Can you imagine this? This is the leader. This is the Amir of the Muslims. And this was the person that Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given him Jannah. That Allah has given him glad tidings of Jannah. And this is how they treated Uthman radiallahu anhu. Ubaidullah ibn Adi ibn Khiyar. He came to Uthman radiallahu anhu while his house was besieged. And he said to Uthman radiallahu anhu, You are the chief of all the Muslims in general. Yani you are Amirul Mu'minin. And you see what has befallen you. Meaning that you are under siege. And we are led at the moment by one of the leaders of the fitna. So one of the leaders of this evil, of this bughat, of this evil people, they are leading us in salah. And he says that we are afraid of being sinful by following him. Uthman radiallahu an he says that salah is the best of all deeds. So when the people do good deeds, do the same with them. And when they do bad deeds, avoid those bad deeds. 
Imam Az-Zuhri, he says, in our opinion, one should not offer salah behind an person that is evil, unless there is no alternative. And this hadith is found in Bukhari. So Uthman radiallahu anhu, he says to the, his companion that you need to salah is something good and you need to make salah behind them. Another important point that we need to look at, that we need to highlight, that many of the companions of Uthman radiallahu they came to him and they asked him, can we defend them? Some of them were the grandsons of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, Hassan and Hussein, may Allah be pleased with them. The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said with regards to Hassan and Hussein that they are the leaders of the youth in Jannah. The next one, Abdullah ibn Zubair, the son of Zubair. The next one, Abu Huraira radiallahu an, who had the most ahadith of this ummah memorized. In the time of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam, he narrated the most ahadith. And Abu Huraira himself, he said, there was only one person that had documented more ahadith in me and this was Abdullah ibn Amr ibn As because Abdullah ibn Amr ibn As he used to write down and I never used to write down and then the next person Muhammad ibn Talha ibn Ubaidullah and Abdullah ibn Umar to name but a few so they were ready with their swords they were willing to defend Uthman radiallahu an. Zayd ibn Thabid, he approached Uthman radiallahu an and he said, the Ansar, we are here by your door. They, and they say that if you desire, O Uthman, we will become the helpers of Allah for the second time. Uthman radiallahu an, he said, no to fighting. He said that you will not fight. This is narrated by, oh, this Narration is found in the Musannaf of Ibn Abi Shayba. Imam Ahmad, he brings a narration in his Musnad from Muhammad ibn Abdul Malik ibn Marwan, who in turn narrates it from Mughira ibn Shu'bah. And he said that I entered the presence of Uthman radiallahu an while the latter was besieged. And I said to him that you are the leader of the masses and you are faced with this predicament. I present to you three options. You may choose one of them and we will go forward with that. Either you come out and we will fight them with you. For indeed you have the numbers and you have the power upon the truth. Whilst they are upon falsehood. The second opinion or the second option is that you break the wall. And we make an exit for you from this exit. Besides the door that they are surrounding. And you sit on your conveyance and we set you off to Makkah. For they will not spill your blood as long as you are there. Or the third option we can give you is that you settle in Sham. For there you have the residence of Sham and their leader Muawiyah radiallahu anhu. Uthman radiallahu anhu replied. 
And he said, as regards for to me coming out and fighting, I will not be the first to succeed Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam in his ummah by spilling blood. With regards to me traveling to Makkah, for they will not spill my blood there. I heard the messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wasallam saying that a man from Quraysh, he will deviate from the right path in Makkah and will suffer half the punishment of the universe. I will not be that person. And with regards with me settling in Sham, because they are the people of Sham and they have Muawiyah, I will not abandon my abode of my Hijrah and being part or being in the neighborhood of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. And here we see my beloved brothers and sisters in Islam, a true leader. A leader that not like some claim he was weak, had he been weak, he would have taken one of those options. But a leader that never used his army to fight the people. A leader that he knew that this is my abode. Because remember Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam told him that you are going to become Amir. And you are going to become a martyr. Abdullah ibn Umar, he reports that he wore his armor on two occasions and approached Uthman radiallahu an. And he said that you accompanied Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam and recognized his right of risala and his right of nubuwa. You accompanied Abu Bakr and you recognized his right of leadership. You accompanied Umar and were the most cognizant of his right as a father and his right as a leader. And I recognize the same for you. Uthman said to him, O son of Umar, may Allah reward you abundantly from the Ahlul Bayt. Sit in your house until my command reaches you. Ibn Sa'ad mentions in his tabaqat through his chain from Abdullah ibn Amir ibn Rabi'ah who reports that Uthman announced on the day he was besieged the person who is most excellent in my eyes is the one who withholds his hand and his weapons Abu Huraira radiallahu anhi reports that I entered the presence of Uthman on the day he was besieged and I submitted O Amirul Mu'mineen it is the time to fight Uthman said to him Ya Abu Huraira Will it please you to kill all the people as well as myself? I answered in the negative. He explained, by Allah, if you kill one person, it is as if you, it is as if you have killed the whole of humanity or the whole of or all of the people. Hearing this, Abu Hurairah returned and he did not fight. My beloved brothers and sisters in Islam, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala shower his choices, mercy and blessings upon Amirul Mu'mineen Uthman ibn Affan radiallahu an. He was merciful towards the believers in his lifetime and after his demise. He did not take revenge for himself and he was rather eager to unite or reunite this ummah on one view or one co. So who killed Uthman radiallahu an? And time is running out, so we're going to move a bit faster. The leaders of the fitna were Kinanatu bin Bishr, Ruman al-Yamani, Jabalatu, and it is claimed that he was the one who killed Uthman radiallahu an, 
and there were few of them around him as well and Saudan bin Hamran they obviously were in cahoots with Abdullah ibn Sabah Aisha radiallahu anha she saw the copy of the Mus'haf that Uthman radiallahu anhu was reading when he passed away and she saw there were blood drops at the start of the verse فَإِنْ آمَنُوا بِمِثْلِ فَإِنْ آمَنُوا بِمِثْلِ مَا آمَنْتُمْ بِهِ فَقَدِ اهْتَدَوْا وَإِنْ تَوَلَّوْا فَإِنَّمَا هُمْ فِي شِقَاقٍ فَسَيَكْفِيكَهُمُ اللَّهُ وَهُوَ السَّمِيعُ الْعَلِيمُ so if they believe in the like of that which you believe, فَإِنْ آمَنُوا بِمِثْلِ مَا آمَنْتُمْ بِهِ فَقَدِ اهْتَدَوْا Then they are rightly guided. وَإِنْ تَوَلَّوْا But if they turn away, فَإِنَّمَا هُمْ فِي شِقَاقٍ Then know that they are only in opposition. They are not really with you. فَسَيَكْفِيكَهُمُ اللَّهِ And know that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is sufficient for you against them. And this goes for anything my beloved brothers and sisters in Islam. Whatever struggle, whatever difficulty you are going through, فَسَيَكْفِيكَهُمُ اللَّهِ That know that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala He is sufficient for us against our enemies. He is sufficient for us in whatever problem we are going through. وَهُوَ السَّمِيعٌ Alim and know that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the all year and he is the all knower. My beloved brothers and sisters in Islam. This brings us to the end of Uthman radiallahu anz life and to the end of Uthman radiallahu anz Khalifa. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to guide and protect us. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to forgive our shortcomings. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to place barakah in our time so that we can cover more work bi'idhnillahi ta'ala. Next week inshallah we will look at Amirul Mu'mineen Ali ibn Abi Talib radiyallahu an and the life of Ali radiyallahu an will also be divided into two weeks yani part one and part two may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant us success in this world and the next subhanakallahumma wa bihamdik ashadu wa la ilaha illa astaghfiruka wa atubu ilayk assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh